Hello and welcome to Giant Mess, a sloppy sports and entertainment talk show that covers Giants football, Mets, baseball, movies, TV shows, and comedy. There's some funny life stories and life lessons along the way. It's hosted by Giant Mess. That's me, the real cinch, Neil Lynch. I'm a former college quarterback and pitcher turned over thinker. On today's episode, we're going to be recapping and breaking down the historic come from behind win for Los Gigantes de Nueva York. We'll preview the game, the upcoming Thursday night football game against the San Francisco 49ers in what hopefully won't be too bad of a bloodbath. And then we'll finish up with some Mets talk. I haven't talked Mets in a hot minute. It's been like three weeks, something like that. So I thought I'd uh, give that a whirl because they're technically still alive. Not dead just yet. Although after tonight, we'll have to see. So without further ado, let's get it started up in y'all. Your New York football giants, our New York football giants, put on a show on Sunday. (laughs) They put on one hell of a show. First half was essentially just a repeat of week one. We looked like complete and utter dog shit from the get. And uh, my my nightmarish prediction of Owens 17 looked like a reality. <laughs> looked like that was a real life nightmare, a waking nightmare, if you will. We made Josh Dobbs look like fucking Lamar Jackson, right? Peak Russell Wilson, maybe back in the day. Uh, Josh Dobbs having himself a goddamn career game. Can't stop the run. James Conner is running footloose and fancy free with Kevin Bacon. We looked like we looked like crap. It looked like we had learned absolutely nothing from the first week debacle, and that this is life now. And you start to you start to wonder, like Dave. Okay, I guess Dable has lost the team officially, and that's what cost Ben McAdoo his job is just not being in tune with the players and the clubhouse and. Just losing their the belief, maybe? Is that what we're talking about here? Right? Faith, belief, conviction. If if these people can't believe in me, they won't believe in themselves. They won't believe in the cause. They won't believe in the game plan. They won't believe in the scheme. And that's exactly what it looked like in the first half. Was I shocked and surprised? Not shocked, not really surprised. Given like, uh, just given what I saw in week one, knowing that we're going to be without Andrew Thomas at left tackle, um, we have Josh Azudu, who's not a left tackle at left tackle. We also have Marcus McKeithen, a guy that uh, hasn't played a down yet in the NFL, right guard, coming off a pretty nasty ACL or something like that last year. He did have a promising training camp, but so did Darian Beavers. And it's like, it's amazing what an injury can do (laughs) to a career. Just ask David Wilson. And I just, I was just like, yeah, this is just more of the same. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how this can happen to a team that is, appears to be better on paper as from a roster standpoint, as more talented than they were last year and coming out and just like, just playing flat. Like it's week two, guys. <laughs> you're acting like it's week sixteen, and you're out of the playoffs, out of the playoff hunt. I don't know. I just uh, I I remember uh, going to get something to eat or ordering something to eat right when halftime, the final seconds of the first half are waning down, and the broadcaster, I forget who it was, just goes, "Just a nightmare situation for the Giants." It's like, man, we have broadcasters yelling furious about just how poorly we are playing what and uh i was like yeah i mean i i i'm not like i'm not surprised i think a lot of people thought this was a get right game that this some people were thinking that it's we should be able to handle them easily and it's a cakewalk and i'm saying to myself i just don't think we have it figured out yet and i don't know that we'll ever get it figured out I mean, what what's there to figure out? What was training camp for? <laughs> what the fuck was all that for? What was the preseason for? Um, but uh, so yeah, I mean, I 
Did I turn it off? No, because it was a four o'clock game. It wasn't a Sunday night game <laughs> like I did last week. I stuck with it because I was like, yeah, let's just see how this, this plays out. Like, are we really going to lose 40 to nothing, 30 something to nothing to the Cardinals? Like that, to, I was almost more entertained by that concept. Like, we're just gonna, we're just gonna get. It's not just the Cowboys; it's the Cardinals now who are. I mean, everyone and their mother was saying are actively tanking, like full on rebuild mode. But yet, I don't know. No one's telling the players that because they gave the the Commanders a run for their money, and now they put the fear of God in the in the Giants. So, um, my God. There's got there, you know f- for a fact that there's a recording of Brian Dable at halftime, and it's probably electric. I can't imagine it being anything short of stellar. And uh, it's gonna be if they do end up doing some kind of wild run this year. Hopefully, it goes. In, it, they I think they would have to win the Super Bowl for them to include that speech in the championship DVD, quote unquote. I don't know if that's going to go in the yearbook, the video yearbook, if it's like we finished seven and 10 and missed the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? This, it feels like this is more of a Super Bowl or bust inclusion for the audio on that. Cause you can look back and laugh and be like, <laughs> but you know, if they, if anything short of a Super Bowl win, I don't think that ever sees the light of day. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But uh, there's got to be a recording. There's definitely a recording of it somewhere. Um, so some this. I mean, we're doing some historic shit. This team worst blowout loss in at home in eighty years in week one. Biggest tied for the biggest comeback win in franchise history. Biggest come from behind comeback win since nineteen forty nine. I mean, we're seeing stuff that. I don't think anyone alive has seen twice. Maybe that's a, maybe maybe one or two people. And this team is just it's fun it'll be fun to see what kind of record that we uh tie or break or set in the <laughs> Thursday night game. Feels like another one's coming down the pike. Um it's the second this is the third uh comeback from 21 points. Uh and it's the second against the Cardinals in the first in almost 74 years. So, the, yeah, the, the first one, or the last one was against the Chicago Cardinals in 1949. So, on December 2nd, 1945, the Giants fell behind the Eagles at the Polo Grounds 21 nothing. before Arnie Herber caught four touchdown passes to give them the 28-21 triumph. Giants repeated the feat on October 30th, 1949, against the Chicago Cardinals playing in Comiskey Park. Giants were in a 28-7 hole at halftime before surging to a 41-38 win. We have now improved to 52-42-5 and in road openers, proving once again that MetLife needs to burn to the ground. 52 victories trail only the Green Bay Packers all-time, who have 58. Giants gained 439 yards, the second-highest total of the Brian Dable era. And the most they've had in a victory, we totaled uh, 445 yards against the vikings on christmas eve last year a game that gave a lot of giants fans myself included a lot of hope for the playoffs the 321 net passing yards were also the second most they've had in their highest total in a victory under dable they threw for we threw for 324 yards last november 20th in a loss to detroit and that was when we were playing from playing from behind for most of the game that was the game Wandale robinson had a, a bit of a breakout and then was lost for the year a really devastating loss that uh, I believe it was either the beginning of or in the midst of Detroit's resurgence into becoming the juggernaut that they are today. This is the first time the Giants shut out in the first six quarters of a season since 1934. They were shut out for the first seven quarters. And uh, it should be noted. That in 1934, that same season, the Giants won the NFL championship against those same Chicago Bears in the famous sneakers game. So, will history repeat itself? So far, that's been the theme of the 2023 season. History repeating itself. Worst blowout loss in 80, at home in 80 years. Biggest 
come from behind victory in 60 some odd years, 70 some odd years. So why not uh, do what they did back in the 30s and 40s? <laughs> Get ourselves a goddamn championship. Um, we're the first team to surrender at least 60 points in a season before scoring since the 78 Baltimore Colts. And I'm going to look up real quick how they finished. If only I knew how to type. Because I think that the 78 Baltimore Colts, if I'm not mistaken, no, they went 5-11. What year was I thinking of? <laughs> Maybe it was the year before. So yeah, they went they went uh five and eleven. Was it seventy seven? They were in the Super Bowl. Lost divisional round. Lost divisional round. Lost divisional round. Jesus. Seventy four. Seventy three. Seventy two. Seventy one. Lost the conference championship. Dolphins. Oh, okay, fine. Well, yeah, five and eleven. Those seventy eight Baltimore Colts. So, inauspicious start to the season. Um, and then and then shit done changed. In that in the locker room, and hopefully it sees the light of day. Giants allowed the first twenty plus points in consecutive games for the first time since December eighth to seventeenth, twenty thirteen, and losses to San Diego and Seattle. So again, you can see why I was leaning towards zero and seventeen or or something to that effect for the season, just because it's it's very reminiscent of what we saw in twenty seventeen and twenty thirteen, two of the worst seasons. Uh, that we've had in the past decade or so. There's a lot of there's a lot of similarities to seasons that did not go well. <laughs> you know, even Saquon getting hurt at the end of this game. It's like the years he gets hurt, mm, tough to swallow. Uh, Jones improved to 8-1-1 in his last 10 games following a loss. So again, resilience, key to any any good quarterback, great quarterback. Jalen Hyatt's 58-yard catch and run was the longest by a Giants rookie since Paul Perkins had a 60-yard catch, 67-yard catch and run in Minnesota uh, in 2016. That was uh, the longest first career reception by a Giants player since that Paul Perkins snag and run. Um, and Hyatt had the longest reception by a Giants rookie wide receiver since Odell Beckham Jr. had a 63-yarder versus the Eagles on around Christmas 2014. Yeah, Paul Perkins, man. I thought that was going to be our back for like the next at least five years. Just, uh, you know, there was, I think there might have been comparisons to Tiki in the draft, right? Draft when they drafted him, when I was a blogger, when I blogged, uh, I was like, oh, this is Tiki Barber 2.0, who played 10 years and a franchise leader in rushing yards. So I really thought that catch and grab and Perkins came on real strong towards the end of the season and became the Giants X factor as they moved away from what's his face. Hmm. Uh, oh my God. You know what I'm talking about. Did that weird touchdown dance. Rashad Jennings. Jesus. Uh so yeah, I I I I'm hoping Jalen Hyatt has a more successful career than Paul Perkins did. Uh, Paul Perkins done fucked up some kind of body part that will not that did not allow him to get back to what he used to be, which is really unfortunate because I really liked how he ran, and uh, definitely infused some life into that 2016 team down the stretch. Whereas I where I I like listed him as the X factor, most important player in that wild card game against the Packers and we just got smoked. <laughs> so hopefully Jalen Hyatt from all looks, uh, it appears that he's just going to be someone that opposing defenses have to account for. Um, you know, it was his, that 58 yard catch and run. No one was near him. Good throw by DJ. But if he, le if he's able to catch him in stride, he gone. So that is really cool to see that we have a deep threat and Darius Slayton also a deep threat. I think the, the combo of those two, it's what we talked about heading into the season. Just visions of grandeur of seeing both Darius and Jalen just 
stretch defense is thin, and then I'll open up everything to to Waller and the like underneath. So, and that's what that's what sprung the offense in the second half. Huge play, big play, a lot of explosive plays in the second half, which we'll get to. But that was the one that kind of uh, swung the momentum. Giants broke a four-game losing streak to the Cardinals and beat Arizona for the first time since 2011. That game also required a Giants comeback. We trailed 27-17 with under four minutes reigning in the fourth before Eli threw two touchdown passes in a 58-second span to win 31-27. So, as much as the first six quarters were reminiscent of seasons that ended really horribly, the fact that this also mirrors <laughs> a come-from-behind win from 2011, a Super Bowl season, then, uh, you know, that's why I think that my 1% sliver, you know, from last week, I said I had a 1% sliver. I think it's like a 5% sliver now, you know? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know that that's going to increase anymore after this 49ers game. I just, I foresee, oh, that's going to be ugly. What's not ugly, though, is, is our secondary, which I think a lot of people um, might have underrated, underestimated. I know that I uh, gave them a fair amount of shine and flowers and whatnot. Uh, my prediction was that I think they were going to be the, the second best unit behind the defensive line. And I, I'm going to go on a limb and say they are the best unit so far through two games, through two weeks. Deontay Banks, big part of that. Through two weeks, opposing quarterbacks are completing 42.9% of their passes when targeted, uh, when Deontay Banks is targeted. He's allowed 30 yards and a pass rating of 55.7. I don't know that you can ask more much more of that. Again, Cowboys, you might you might have a hater say the Cowboys weren't throwing the ball because they didn't have to. They were up so big. I get it. Uh, you could say we're playing the Cardinals. The Cardinals suck. I get it. I don't know. I just uh, I think that uh, our secondary um, certainly came up big against the Cardinals in the second half, and I think they can at least try and keep us in the game <laughs> against San Francisco. Starting safety, Jason Pinnock, another member of the secondary. 13 total tackles, three tackles for loss, four defensive stops. Oh, brother. So Jason Pinnock, who we just claimed off waivers. We just found him on waivers. Is uh, is playing playing really well. Some would say better than Xavier McKinney, who got absolutely truck-sticked by Josh Dobbs on en route to his touchdown, that long touchdown run. Xavier McKinney is now there's what what this is uh you know his contract is up after 2023 maybe next year so I you know I think there are a lot of people who who want to see more out of him because he's not really jumping off the screen injury history avoidable injury history um you know he's trending in the he's trending in a a direction that makes me think he's not going to be a giant. A lot could change. Long season. But so far, Jason Pinnock has, Pinnock has looked much better than Xavier McKinney. The five best giants, according to PFF grades for week two, Daniel Jones with a 92.5, much deserved. We'll get into a lot of his cool stats in a little bit. Jalen Hyatt's with, Hyatt with an 89.9, Dexter Lawrence with an 86.5, Isaiah Simmons with an 86.4, and Trey Hawkins with a 78.4. So the two rookie corners are pretty much holding their own. You got new acquisition Isaiah Simmons looking uh, better and better, and maybe he should take on a larger role in the defense, which I agree with. Dexter Lawrence being Dexter Lawrence. Great to see his consistency. He's just not getting a whole lot of help on the defensive line. Um, you know, We mentioned explosive plays. Uh, there were four pass plays of 25 yards or more, six pass plays of 15 yards or more. Three plays of 15 yards or more from Slayton, one 20-yard pl- one play from Waller, two plays of 30-plus from Hyatt, five runs of 10-plus yards of the five. Three were from Jones and two were from Barkley. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be key. 
and it's it's going to be necessary and required for this team because I don't know that we're going to do a lot of there's not going to be a lot of repeats of last year where you can just run the it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to run the ball like we did last year and uh, just eat away at the clock and at and at teams doesn't seem like that's the case this year but I don't know um so Daniel Jones had the highest PFF grade, and it's uh, easy to understand why. No other quarterback in NFL history has ever done what Daniel Jones did in the second half of the game against the Cardinals. He threw for 250 yards, uh, more than 250 yards, rushed for more than 50 yards, threw multiple touchdown passes, rushed for a touchdown, and had no turnovers. Now, there's some weird stats being thrown around about not just the Giants, but also Daniel Jones. And a lot of those stats that are being tweeted out and sent out and shouted out are, it's hard to ignore because they all say in NFL history, no one has done what Daniel Jones is doing. <laughs> and yeah, he missed a lot of plays, a lot of passes um, in that 40 to nothing shutout blowout loss. He missed a lot of open people. Uh, was off and, um, you know, just wasn't wasn't what we've come to expect and hope for out of him. So, and I think the first quarter of this game, a little bit more of the same. And then uh, something happened. And a lot of people seem to think that in addition to, in addition to Dable maybe giving the halftime speech to end all halftime speeches, that maybe he also decided to call some plays in the second half, which, uh, I mean, there was a marked difference, right? <laughs> we were all the explosive plays in the second half. Kafka maybe playing a little too conservative, knowing that there are some offensive line issues. And Dable's like, fuck it, dude. You got to risk it to get the biscuit, my man, right? So, and that, that would explain a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he either is like gets in Kafka's grill and is like, listen, here's what I'm aiming for against these guys, which I assume he does every week. Or he should just take over play calling, you know? I mean, it worked against Arizona. Maybe it'll work against San Francisco. But Daniel Jones, dude, he did it all without Andrew Thomas, a left tackle. Josh Azudu did fairly well, considering he's not a left tackle. Um, Marcus McKeithen was a day three pick. Round five, I think, as we mentioned, missed his entire rookie season. And and uh, Mark Lewinsky was benched, which a lot of people were calling for heading in after last week's game and after a really abysmal 2022. Um, but had to come in when Bredesen got concussed, which is, uh, that's a really a knock, a blow. Um to that offensive line because it's like if you can keep Bredersen in the game with McKeithen and JMS and hopefully Neil, you know, whatever, there's now can, you know, do you want to now move Evan Neal into right guard and push Josh Azudu to right tackle? <laughs> That's how bad Evan Neal is. But is that how good Azudu is? I don't know. Jalen High on Darius Slayton, you know, we talked about stretching the offense. They averaged 30, more than 30 yards per catch in the game against the Cardinal on five catches. So, and I swear, if Darius Slayton tucks in his, his T-shirt that's under his jersey, he probably scores on that one deep throw. He's the he's like one of the only receivers I see who's always getting caught by his T-shirt. Tuck it in, my man. You be to the house. Uh, speaking of JMS, he had 100% pass block win rate versus Arizona. I mean, we got... This draft could be one of the best drafts in giant. It, 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 I don't want to say it already is because I, I, but goddamn, man, if they all play out their entire careers with the Giants, that will be the draft that we look back on and we're like, holy fuck, dude. JMS, starter, looking real good. Dante Banks, starter, looking real good. Jalen Hyatt, not quite a starter, but a game changer playmaker as we said he could be and we hoped he would be he is dude for sure he is at least once a game we're taking a deep shot to him and at least once a game that has the potential to be a touchdown <laughs> every time 
Trey Hawkins, starter. What? Jordan Riley, fairly decent depth piece on the defensive line. Um, Javarius Owens made the roster. I'm probably missing a bunch of guys, but holy shit, man. What a draft so far. Uh, another insane stat. The Giants are just the third team in NFL history to suffer a 40-plus point, 40 point loss while also mounting a 20-plus point comeback in the same season. The 1949 Bulldogs and the 1987 Bears were the other two. So the 87 Bears, <coughs> I don't think they were anything to sneeze at or cough at as I just... Uh, like I think, yeah, the eighty-seven Bears went eleven and four under Ditka, ninth in the league in points, four, fourth in the league in points against, and they lost in the divisional round to the eventual Super Bowl champion Washington Skins of Red. Uh, Giants are the only team to have accomplished this feat during a two-game span in NFL history. <laughs> Ugh. A lot of people, media included, journalists, big J journalists, are saying this was a season-saving win, and it's kind of hard to argue against that. Because you go, you you lose to a Cardinals team that is, you know, as we said, not really putting their best foot forward, you know, in terms of trying to win the game. You know, and you start to, I mean, I don't know there's any coming back from that. I don't know that you can come back from that. <laughs> like, oof. So, uh, yeah, maybe they got all the maybe they got all the bad out their system in quarter seven. But um, it's been it's been one <laughs> hell of a hell of a couple of weeks. Did have some injuries, obviously. Barkley, why he was in the game, I just don't know. We're obviously in field goal range. I mean, you know, with Gano's hurt ankle or whatever, you know, you don't want to go too long, too far back in terms of the game-winning field goal. So they do want to pick up positive yards, but at the same time, this is a Cardinals team or defense that was taking some shots last week in Washington. And, uh, you know kind of feels like they might have been targeted Saquon or got pissed at Saquon and tried and tried to hurt him. I mean, like there's no, I don't know. Shouldn't have been in the game. It looked so bad live and on the replays. And I'm like, that could be a season under. I mean, I don't, you know, it just could be. It looked a lot, hell of a lot worse than anything he suffered in 2019, in 2020, in 2021. I mean, tore his goddamn ACL in 2020. Didn't look that bad. 2021, he had a couple freakish accents where he twists his ankle. Nothing where he had a full-ass man just like bend him backwards and just put all his weight landing on uh, Saquon's leg. And so the MRIs come back, uh, came back, no fractures or anything like that. Sprained ankle, not a high ankle sprain, which he had in 2019, I think, and maybe even again. And expected to miss three weeks. And then Dable gets up at the podium. And it's like, yeah, he's, he surprised me. He surprised a lot of people in terms of uh, how he looks. We didn't. We expected him to be worse. And so now all these people are, I mean, it's for clicks and engagement. I get it. Are saying that he's going to, has a chance to play Thursday night, which is just stupid and outrageous. Um, Bredersen did not practice. Um, he has a concussion. I doubt he plays, which is which stinks. Micah McFadden's limited with a neck. Azizo Delari limited with a hamstring. Wandale Robinson limited with a knee. Andrew Thomas limited practice with a hamstring. So the expectation, I guess, from everyone is that Thomas is going to play. There's a chance that Wandale Robinson plays. I don't know about Azizo Delari, but friggin' A, dude. Azizo Delari cannot stay on the field and cannot stay healthy. <sighs> did not play against the Cardinals. I don't know if he'll play against the 49ers. At this, it feels like at this point they might consider 
him as trade bait? I don't know. Like, it's just tough. He puts up great numbers when he's healthy. But just can't can't shake the injury bug. So um be nice to get Wandale back. I just don't want to rush anyone back. It's like I'd rather I'd rather just have like have everyone get healthy. Just get fully healthy and hopefully we can just hang tight and survive and stay in the th- stay in the hunt. You know, I don't think there's a point in rushing Barkley back for this game and if Andrew Thomas isn't 100%, I don't know that you want him to retweak and hurt that hamstring. It's like if Wandale's not 100%, don't friggin' dress him. Uh it's uh, these guys try to come back to make an impact and and make a difference, and they and they try to overextend themselves and and they get rehurt. So it's like just let them heal up. All right, so Thursday night game against the San Francisco 49ers. Let's do it. Let's preview this bitch. 49ers are favored by eleven points. <laughs> so yeah, we're the underdogs just by a slight marge. The over-under is 45, and the last five matchups, we well, the, the last time we faced them was in 2020. It was a 36-9 blowout at home. I believe that's the game that where we lost Blake Martinez for the year. No, that would be the following year, 2021, right? Yeah. So 2020, we just, uh, yeah, we just got smoked. <laughs> It's just like, oh, okay. So this is the kind of season we're going to have. New coach, same old bullshit. And then November of 18, we had that come from behind victory. I believe it was Eli to Sterling Shepard in the left corner. Great job, Shep, getting both feet down. Amazing catch, falling out of bounds. So we won that 27-23. And then November 2017, we lost at San Francisco 31-21. to that was uh who's coming out game. There was some rookie. Was it Brandon Ayuk? No. There was some rookie rookie wide receiver who hadn't done shit all year and just like went off against the Giants. And it's like this truly is 2017 in a nutshell. Uh, October 2015, another come from behind victory from Eli Manning against the 49ers in prime time. I believe this is the one, uh, the floater to Larry Donnell, where he went up over two guys and came down with it. Larry Donnell. Hmm. How far we've come. And then November 2014, we lost uh, 16 to 10. And that was at home. 2014 was, some would say, uh, well, I don't know. 2014, kind of the first, yeah, 2013 was real bad for those first seven, eight games, I think. 2014 was not enjoyable. I, I guess there were it was only enjoyable um watching Odell Beckham Jr. blossom and be like, oh, we have this guy's legit. Like he put up the best rookie wide receiver season we've ever seen. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Um the all-time series is tied all, all tied up, all knotted up at 21. Niners are first in the division. Uh, they're third in points for, third in points against in the league. Um, we are we are we are 28th and 32nd, respectively, offensively and defensively in the league. Uh, you know, and I think that's what's was so concerning is like this defensive line is supposed to be the best in the league or one of the best in the league. Uh, Dexter Lawrence has showed up to play. Pretty much no one else has. I think it's safe to say. Um, you know, I know Kayvon's catching a lot of shit for just not putting up any numbers. I think he had zero tackles, zero sacks, zero pressure, zero hits against the Cardinals. Again, the Cardinals, not a great team. Didn't do much in the opener. And so they're coming, there are people coming in to defend him. And, uh, I say this is part of playing professional sports in New York and um especially when you are a top if you were a sixth round pick no one's talking about it you're one of our two first round picks and both y'all are just uh you're falling way short of expectations so far i mean just look at friggin micah parsons dude if if Kayvon can be like half the player or three quarters of the player micah parsons is then we'll have that will shut people up 
but he's not even coming close to being having the, the level of impact that Michael Parsons has. We're minus four in the takeaway differential as 28th in the league. Um, you know, I don't even, do we have a takeaway yet? I forget. I know the Pinnock interception against Arizona was called back because of Karake clothesline. <laughs> Zach Hurts. Uh, yeah, I gotta, I don't think we have any takeaways. So another throw to Saquon that goes through his hands and is, uh, becomes a, almost a pick six situation. It was literally, it was literally like watching the same shit from the first half of the last week of the Cowboys game. Uh, we're 24th in passing yards per game offensively, 13th in rushing yards per game. Uh, the Niners are third in the league in rushing yards per game, and we couldn't stop James Conner behind a, some would say, not a great offensive line in Arizona. So I can only imagine what kind of rushing number, rushing numbers they're going to put up against us. E, we're going to sit some more. It's going to be historic. That well, I know it. One way or another, this game is going to be historic. That's just how this season's going to go. We're ninth in defensive passive yards a game, passing yards a game. Again, it's a testament to that secondary. Our corners, our safeties, our nickels, uh, you know, that like they're just playing above and beyond. And we just can't get anything out of our our uh defensive front. Mm. We're 26th in rushing yards allowed per game, and they're third in rushing yards per game. So, I mean, that's gonna be the key. I mean, that's Pretty much the key on defense. How in the hell are you going to stack up against the run and not sacrifice too much and and pass? And and maybe this is this is the week that Wink goes to his rookie corners and he goes and Adoree Jackson and is like, "We're going to stack the box and you guys are going to be on islands." So apply plenty of sunscreen. Don't forget your your trunks. And your floaties, like uh, that's what you, I mean. That's what you kind of have to do. Just put it on the shoulders of your young corners and your and your uh, most expensive corner. You got Pinnock and McKinney. One of those one of those guys is going to be in the box. Almost has to be in the box at all times. I don't know if Isaiah Simmons gets more playing time. I know that there's been some talk with Michael McFadden kind of banged up. That Isaiah Simmons snap count goes up. We'll see. I know that he's not like tremendous against the runs. So I always saw him as like pass rusher cover guy. But I mean, that maybe that's it. Yeah. So you got eight in the box. You got to figure you got your two, your four guys on the line. You get Okereke, Simmons, I guess McKinney, and. One other. That's eight, and then you got three guys. So it's, yeah. You put Jackson deep instead of Pinnock. Hmm. I don't know. And this is why I don't get paid the big bucks. <laughs> Just trying to figure this shit out, because, I mean, barring, I mean, you know, injury, barring injury, it's tough to see us coming out of this with a win. But say you cover and you lose by touchdown. Or even a field goal. I think people are talking about you. I think people. I think that will do wonders for the fan base, and it will also put other teams on notice that hey, we took two of the better teams in the conference, who could be one and two, could be one and three, two and three, in terms of seeds in the NFC. You know, we took uh, our worst beating at the hands of the Cowboys, and then we went we went toe to toe with the Niners. It just shows a great progression, a great evolution. You can take that confidence into another primetime game against the Seahawks and, and stick it to them. If you come out and get steamrolled, it's like, you know, it's just hard to think that they're really going to get on track, even when guys get healthy and fully healthy. I don't know. But um, over under 45. You know what? I could, I could... Maybe the defense does come out and is stingy against the run and makes Brock Purdy uncomfortable for a half. I don't see our offense getting on track right away. 
I mean, I, I guess, yeah, they're third in rushing yards allowed per game. So, but they're 23rd in passing yards allowed per game. So that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to throw the ball. So uh, it's a matter of can our offensive line even hold a candle and protect Jones against one of the best defensive lines, an actual best defensive line in the league. We'll see. That's the Giants. We'll finish up the pod. We're talking New York Mets baseball. So let's go Mets. You know, I know we haven't talked about the Mets in a, in a hot minute, AKA three weeks. Um, I've had people in my mentions in my comments saying that the season was over three months ago. Um, but I think the elimination number went down to four tonight on Forch. But the fact that we're halfway through September, almost three quarters of the way through September, and we're still in the hunt. And yes, that's a byproduct of there being seven playoff spots <laughs> in each league. But it's just good to know that they still have a very outside small chance. Um, you know, and it's all Marlin, Marlins and Phillies. So we've gone, we've split so far against the Marlins. If they honestly just go on a fucking streak, again, knowing what we know about our bullpen, <laughs> it's just not highly unlikely. But if we win out against the Marlins and Phillies, like, are we talking about a playoff spot? Yeah, maybe. Um, August didn't help things, didn't help our cause. We're 11 and 18 in August, second worst month since June when we went 7 and 19. Uh, when we essentially basically lost the season, and so far in September we're not we're now nine and eight, so we're playing better than five hundred ball in September, and I think a lot of that has been due to Ronnie Mauricio, called up one of the September call ups, and has been uh, hitting the ball, playing decent defense, but just seems like a nice infusion of energy into the lineup into the field. Um. His 117.3 mile per hour double is the hardest hit first career hit since that cast began tracking in 2015. I've never seen a ball hit that hard in my life. On TV, it looked like it was a rocket. So I can only imagine what it looked like trying to field it. Um, he's also the only Mets player with at least 15 hits and five stolen bases in their first 13 career games. So. Pretty nice. I mean, now, you know, there's talk about how, like, he's pro they're playing him a lot at third because then they can show the Padres that he's, uh, can be a good third baseman so that the Mets can trade for Manny Machado because Manny Machado wants to reunite with Buck Showalter, who's, who's thinking about stepping down after this season. It's like, oh shit. Okay. Um, Interesting. And I, I guess it makes sense because with all these baby Mets up, you know, running around, <laughs> leaving their toys everywhere. Uh, Buck, and we know Buck's like not fond of young players and rookies. And he's like, I, I don't know if I want to be here for all this young, all these whippersnappers <laughs> biting my ankles. So he like, it may, I guess it's not that surprising that he would step down after the season. He's like, I just can't handle like these <laughs> youngins. But then you, you, so you're going to dangle Machado and bring Machado in. I personally don't want Machado. I don't know. I think uh, it's great that when he played his best seasons came under Buck, but I don't, uh, I don't think he like he, I think he's, he's more of a Dave Parkman. Major League Two than he is our savior at the, at the hot corner. DJ Stewart's another big reason why September um, is going better than we had hoped. Uh, he had a slash of three thirty three, batting average three eighty seven on base percentage and eight sixty OPS, nine home runs over his last sixty three plate appearances, and has accumulated almost a full win above replacement in just over two weeks. Yeah, in 41 games with the Mets this season, six doubles, 11 ding-dongs, 24 RBIs. So, yeah, I I got to see what his contract situation is because it seems like a no-brainer to bring him back and, and 
if not platoon him, then it's like you're a guaranteed fourth outfielder. Um, he goes into year one of arbitration in 2024. But I think he's he's worth investing in for sure, in my opinion. Um, well, my only concern is that is he playing this well because he is starting every day, right? It happens with a lot of players. It's like they, they, they don't, you know, when you expect them to come in and pinch hit or, you know, uh, come in for defense in the eighth or ninth, you know, two weeks in a row, and then finally he gets to start or whatever. I don't know. How does he respond to that? Like, would you be confident rolling into 2024 with him as your starting right fielder? I don't know. It, it's, he's certainly making his case for it, and I don't think a lot of people would be that upset if he is our day one starting right fielder. You just know that you need to get, like, you can't rely on Marte, I don't think. Hard to see what Marte's status is going to be when he do, when he is fully healthy and comes back. Like, what... What is his, I guess, I don't know. I don't think he, I think he's, he's not going to play at the level that he played in 2022. So got to come up with some uh, backup plans. Uh, DJ has the highest weighted runs created plus WRC plus since August 1st. And he's in some pretty interesting company. Mookie Betts. Julio Rodriguez, Marcelo Zuna, boo, Bryce Harper, boo, and then DJ Stewart. Jeff McNeil became the 18th different Mets hitter to record 200-plus multi-hit games in franchise history. So the offense feels like it has uh, awakened for the most part and is giving us more of an effort. Um, there are definitely still nights where they, they just take off and they can they get completely shut down. Um but it is, I mean, it's so fun to watch them when they're all heating up at the same time. We just feel unbeatable, and then our bullpen blows it. But <laughs> uh, glad to see that McNeil is is back in the swing of things. Um, had a huge home run against the Marlins in the first game of this current set. And he just, he just seems to find, he's getting late inning clutch hits. Like even tonight in the, in the loss, the walk-off loss, you know, it's like just little just sticks his bat out there, boop, pokes it over the infield, a little blue pit. Seems to be like his signature. Um, he almost had another home run tonight. Um, and then Lindor. I mean, I, I, I know, yeah, he's got a lot of haters, but at the same time, he's just, he's a solid dude. <laughs> Uh, here's a list of players who recorded the following under the age of 30. So 250 plus doubles, 25 plus triples, 200 plus home runs, 150 plus stolen bases. You got Frank Robinson's Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey Jr., Carlos Beltran, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and Francisco Lindor. So, I mean, he's a generational player. I'm glad we got him locked up. And it's only going to be, it's really only going to be stupid fans that drive him out right because it, it feels like you know he has a good relationship with buck he has a good relationship with steve cohen um he's seen how the fans can react when they when we win <laughs> he's he's seen how we react when we lose <laughs> so uh i really hope he, he does finish out his career with the mets so that was uh you know pretty heady company there's 10 players that recorded pretty much those uh, similar numbers, 250 doubles, 200 plus home runs, and 150 plus stolen bases in their first nine big league seasons. Barry Bonds, Jeff Bagwell, David Wright, Mike Trout, Francisco Lindor. He's, he's just very quiet, under the radar, like, you know, obviously not getting the kind of uh, national spotlight now that we've been pretty much uh, everyone's counted us out of the playoff race. Um, you know, didn't make the all-star game somehow again, which is preposterous, but yet he ranks, among, he, here are his rankings among National League shortstops this year. He's first in four, 
First in home runs, first in RBIs, first in hard hit percentage, first in exit velo, tied for second in stolen bases, second in OPS, second in runs created, third in doubles. He became just the fifth hitter in Mets history to record at least 25 doubles and 25 home runs and 25 stolen bases in the same season. Straw, Daryl Strawberry, Hojo, Howard Johnson, D-Dubs, David Wright, Carlos Beltran. So, uh, and there are three shortstops in Major League Baseball history who have had multiple seasons of 25 doubles, 25 home runs, and 25 stolen bases. Lindor, Hanley Ramirez, and Jimmy Rollins. So, I, you know... I know we put a lot of blame on his shoulders during that, uh, in what was it, March, April, May, May, and June. We said, look at his batting average, it's so low, blah, blah. But I don't know. I don't think Lindor's the problem. I don't think Alonzo's the problem. I mean, his his power production per year, everyone's saying he's he had an uh, off year. He went through the worst slump of his career this year. At the worst possible time. No one's arguing that. But he's also bounced back pretty well. He came back too early from the wrist thing when he got hit by the pitch. He came back way too early and he struggled for the next month when he should probably just try to get right physically and mentally and not rush back. But he felt the need to rush back because we put ourselves in such a fucking hole losing so many games early on. Um, but steady power production every year. Northern Met has hit uh, 40 or more home runs more than once. These are the players with at least three seasons of at least 40 homers within their first five seasons. Kiner, Ralph Kiner, Eddie Matthews, Albert Pujols, and Ryan Howard, along with Alonzo. Those are some pretty decent names, dude. Kodai Senga's ranks among National League starting pitchers. Yeah, so, I mean, with with, with Pete... Uh, also clutch home runs. I mean, that was a huge uh, three-run homer against the Reds that tied it up. And, you know, it just seems like when we need a big home run, he's not more times than not, but he more frequently, frequently, more frequently than most, I would say. So I, I don't want us to trade him. He's just a good dude. And, you know, I how goofy could he really be? <laughs> you know, it's like... Uh, just embrace the goof it's not that hard embrace it but uh, the point is like the offense can be can be headache inducing but it seems like Mauricio is a legitimate option Neil's kind of inconsistent year in and year out but he's going to be there in the lineup Lonzo Lindor, Nimmo, Alvarez, if he can get some more consistency. It feels like you have, PJ Stewart possibly, you have most of your field set for success. You mix in a little Vientos, you mix in a little Brett Beatty. Vogelback is like, whatever. I don't, uh, you know, he's not, I don't think anyone thinks he's part of the future. But it's, we're, it doesn't, we're not that far off in terms of, Position players in our lineup. I don't think we're that far off. One or two players, maybe three. Doesn't feel that far off. Now, the bullpen and the starting pitching is a whole other story. I mean, we are getting some, I mean, all things considered, we're getting much better starts out of Tyler, Tyler McGill and David Peterson than we did in the first half. Or even like the, the in the first, like it's just this past month or so where they've kind of stepped it up and given us much better performances and outings. Joey Lucchesi is holding his own. Uh, Joey But But Buto, Butto, he's pitching like out of his mind. Jose Quintana stepping up and giving us some much needed, uh, you know, quality starts. So they've gone above and beyond. They've far exceeded uh, the starting rotation has far exceeded what we expected. I think that's safe to say. It's our bullpen is just atrocious. <laughs> just so bad. I mean, at no point, it's any time. It, it's almost like no matter who we put out on that on that mound, it's just you know they're gonna give up runs and possibly blow the lead. Um, but there's some bright spots with the starting rotation. 
And maybe it's a case of like, okay, we'll bolster the starting rotation and we can now use a lot of those guys, hopefully use those guys in the bullpen. I don't know. Not everyone that's a good starter is a good bullpen. Not everyone is a good ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Some can't transition like me. <sighs> that's right. You hear me. I'm transitioning. Uh, Kodai Senga. I disagree with him winning rookie of the year or whatever. Just, uh, I just, it's just, it's, you know, it's like Sam Hartman at Notre Dame is 24 as a college quarterback. Like, dude, if you could tell me at 24, I'd be a starting quarterback. I, I could play D1 and win the Heisman. <laughs> it's just like, I don't agree with like Brandon Whedon, like winning the Heisman or being in consideration with the Heisman. Or, uh, oh my God, the other dude who played for Florida State, Chris Wanky, who was like 28 when he won the Heisman. Get the hell out of here, dude. There's got to be an age limit on winning the Heisman, just like there has to be an age limit with Rookie of the Year. There just has to be. Now, how does Kodai Senga rank among NL pitchers now that I've rained on his parade? Didn't mean to do that. He's third in ERA, third in home runs per nine innings, or home runs allowed per nine innings, fourth in strikeout percentage, tied for fourth in average, tied for fourth in WPA, which I forget what the hell that means. Fifth in war in tied for sixth in four. So he's definitely in the conversation for Cy Young, right? Possibly. Um, so it's, it's, uh, he, he's our number one right now. And uh, I think I'm fine with him being our number one moving into next year, which is comforting. It's like, all right, we don't have to go for a number one next year in the offseason. Let's just try and get like, and even a two. Let's just get like three solid threes and have them, you know, they're interchangeable in terms of third, third, fourth, and fifth. Because Quintana, I mean, I you know, it's tough because Quintana is going to be another year older. You got to think that the injury is going to bite him again. So I would not put a whole lot of faith and investment in Quintana. He's more like a, just an added bonus. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, I don't see him starting thirty games next season. Maybe fifteen, you know. He's going to be like hopefully the added bonus. Um, but yeah, so a lot of work to be done with the starting rotation, the bullpen. I don't know that there are a lot of guys in the bullpen that I would bring back. I just don't know. Um. So yeah, I mean that's uh that's the Mets. They uh are close to being eliminated, but stranger things have happened. The fact that they're playing like they are against a lot of these uh, better teams. I mean, you look at like since August 30th, who they've played and who they've uh, won against. <sighs> Took two or three from the Mariners, the th who are you know either second or third place, depending on what hour of the day it is. They did split with the Nationals, which sucked. You know, we're seven and six against Washington this season, which is... Pretty much unacceptable. They're the Nats are in dead last. I don't know that a lot of people expected them to compete this year. So just to have such a mediocre record against them is kind of, you know, one of the one of the reasons um, we are where we are. We lost two or three to th to the first place Twins, which is a bummer. We just have not done well against any of the Central teams this year, <laughs> AL or NL. Some about that Midwest flavor. That gives us a stomach pangs. We took three or four from the second place Diamondbacks. And we're six and one against Arizona this season. So we definitely have their number. And then we lost two or three of the second, uh, well, depending on the day, it could be second or third place, Cincinnati Reds. Two and four against the Reds this year. So, you know, it's it's not taking advantage of the Nationals. Not taking advantage of poor, bad teams. Like I mentioned before. 0-3 against the Tigers. The last place they were the last place Tigers at the time. I think they actually have moved up to the third in AL Central despite a losing record. Two and four against the last place last place Rockies. 0-3 against the last place Royals. It's 10 losses. Now, maybe you don't win all those games, but goddamn, if you took seven or eight of those 10. <laughs> We would be in the playoffs. And this is back, you know, the Royals, the Royals, I mean, you can say what you will. The, the Royals 
caught us at like the worst possible time because it was like immediately following the all the moves at the trade deadline. So I guess the team was in shock that we were selling. And so, uh, you know, it was a timing thing with the Royals. But like the fact that we could not take the series from the Rockies is was bogus and then getting swept by the Tigers. And that's back when we had all our dudes, all our guys. So that's where the season went off the rails. You know, we talked about Jose Butto. Butto, Butto. Over his last three starts, 17 in the third innings, 12 hits, four earned, five walks, 19 strikeouts, and a ERA of two. So, you know, I, I'm not as worried. I don't think I'm as worried about the starting rotation as the bullpen is definitely more concerning, more alarming by for sure. I don't even know how to address the, the bullpen at this point. I mean, I don't know how you go about doing that, but um, it certainly looks good from a field position standpoint, a position player standpoint. Offensively, I think Mauricio, uh, this is not like a flash in the pan type thing. I think you know we're seeing what we saw with Brandon Nimmo when he came was a September call up when we, what we saw with Jeff McNeil when he's a September call up. So I think, uh, we can, I would, I, my expectation is that Ronnie Mauricio is going to be in the opening day roster next year. And he's, he's probably going to start whether it's second base or third base. I don't know. Um, you know, I know he's had some, there's been some, <laughs> some doozies with him at the hot corner, but, uh, I think we'll iron that out. Right, probably. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm not as despondent, you know, for the people saying that we're not going to compete next year. That's just, I mean, that's absurd. You know, did anyone think the Orioles would compete this year? And now they're the first, you know, they just clinched a playoff spot, and they had a lot of people pulling for them. So it's not far off. We're not that far off. You know, a lot of these games that we're losing, uh, it seems like lately are just, it's a the, the freaking bullpen, dude. They cannot hold, hold to lead. Um, it just seems like we just, they consistently get themselves in jams and it's and always snowballs like wild pitch hit batsman. Um, just little things that like clean it up, dude, clean it up. So I, you know, we're, I know it would be a, a miracle for if they made the playoffs this year. I don't think it's, it's obviously not, not going to happen, but man, would it be cool? Cause like it, if all of a sudden everyone starts to hit their stride all at the same time and, and just like, that's, that's what we've been taught. That's what we talked about last year. The Phillies got friggin' red hot towards the end of the season and carried that into the playoffs and just took off. Um, but I, you know, I, don't, I I forget what the playoff odds are, but I would imagine we're at like 0.1%. <laughs> Come on, baby. Yeah. Playoff odds. So as of, was it? This is before tonight's game. We have a 0.1% chance of making the postseason. <laughs> yeah. It looks like, you know, they have their prediction for us over the remaining 12 games is uh, five and seven, six and six, five and seven, six and six. So the best they think that, that this is a baseball reference. The best thing they think that we can do with 90% confidence is 78 and 84. Woof. It's crazy to think that the, we're, we like very easily could have been a 90 win team and people would have been disappointed, but we'd be in the playoffs. You know, that's all we wanted. Playoffs, baby. Yeah, it sucks. William, we were, at the end of May, we had a 51.3% chance of making the playoffs. In June, our playoff percentage went from 56% on June 1st to 1.4% on June 30th. It's one of the worst. That's one of the worst months of baseball I think anyone has ever seen. Oh my God, dude. Our odds actually went up in July. And then it went it went way down in August. So 
All right. Well, that's the episode. Um, let's go Giants. Let's go Mets. I mean, who knows? By by the time October rolls around, October one, we could be we could be elated from here to eternity with uh the most shocking turnaround that two franchises have have ever had in the span of two weeks, three weeks, whatever. Or it could just be like, well, what else can we talk about? <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. And uh, hopefully we'll have some more like life stuff. Got a whole bunch of life stuff to talk about. Just haven't been able to get around to it. Uh, some movie stuff, some TV stuff, all kinds of stuff. It's all in. It's it's locked and it's loaded, but it's can't fire just yet. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Adios, muchachos.